Paceline is a production of the Cycling Independent with the support of listeners like you and the master bike builders at Seven Cycles. We are community supported, community focused, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. At the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Hey, John, I got a question for you. Oh, yeah. How much time do you spend kicking around your slush pile, your various spam folders in your email? Uh, none. Ah, that used to be me, and then I kept finding out about things that I missed, and so now I check mine uh, daily. Uh, and uh, Google has helped me sort them into multiple different folders, so naturally I get to check multiple folders. I bring this up because there are a stunning number of bikes on sale right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact. Yeah. E bikes. Mountain bikes, road bikes, uh, I can't speak to kids' bikes. I'm not getting emails about those, and I don't know why. Um, but like 20 and 25% off stuff. Yeah, it is a fact. Um, you know, you say that, and I immediately want to just tell everybody who doesn't have a full suspension mountain bike to get one. Uh-huh. And I know, I know that not everyone needs one, Yep. but I've been riding mine an awful lot and having such a good time that I want to share that with the world at 25% off. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask a rhetorical question now unrelated to bike purchasing. Okay. Which is, have you been watching the Vuelta? <laughs> and I know that the answer is no. So I'm just now gonna... I understand why the re- why the question was rhetorical. Yes. Yes. Please continue, sir. This is a setup entirely just for me. Um, I have not caught up with today's stage, which will mm-hmm. be yesterday's stage to people listening to this, but. There's an American in the red jersey. Yeah. Oh, you're, oh, you are aware of that. I'm aware of that much. Ah. Uh, I, and I know that a rest day has taken place. A rest day has taken place. An individual time trial has taken place. It's, it's pretty fun, a pretty fun race in the sense that, like, um, unlike the the tour, which tends to be sprint stage, sprint stage, sprint stage, mountain, 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 or you know, it's yeah. uh, there are phases to it, right? Uh-huh. This Vuelta has been we're going up, we're going flat, we're going down. It's just everything. It's just day. If you didn't like today, don't worry. Tomorrow will be different. Mm. Well, that that does sound kind of intriguing and neat. Uh, I also like the the fact that Sepkus is uh, not forty one. 
You're referring to Chris Horner having won the Vuelta in 2013 at an age at which he ought not have won. It, we'll a, just a call it advanced. Tour. Advanced. An uh, advanced stage, yes. I mean, look, I I know Chris personally. Uh, oh. I, I like Chris immensely. He's a nice guy, and he's worked hard, and... Being a bike racer was something that wasn't always kind to him, uh, especially because uh, a certain Texan didn't like him at all and um, C-blocked, we'll call it, uh, him from certain teams. Um, but when you're hoping that the sport's going to clean up and uh, an immensely, immensely talented rider who could probably have finished in the top 10 of the tour uh, during his well, he did. He finished ninth, but I mean, like, could probably have finished on the podium at least at some point in his career. Um, you know, that was a that was a neat thing um, to see him finally take a Grand Tour because we thought he was capable all along. But at forty one, it's like, oh, better living through chemistry. I have no problem with it at all. I mean, <laughs> that's not true. I have an immense problem with it, but it's like it's this is going to be a terrible metaphor, but it's like looking over a beach full of stranded whales and deciding that a specific one bothers you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Maybe, maybe. I mean, I wasn't looking at it that way. I have derailed this portion of the conversation. Let's get back to present tense, because that might have uh, uh, fewer challenges uh, for us and or our listeners. Fair enough. Uh, yes, the Vuelta is on. It's delightful. Sep Kuss is having a moment. Sep is likable. I wish good things for him. Uh, the racing is interesting. Uh Jumbo Visma now has to ask themselves which of their riders they want to win with. <laughs> Neat trick. Show your friends. Yeah, it's a cool, cool thing. So we'll see what happens. Um, I'm going to say what I always say. If you haven't been watching, it might be a great time to tune in. <laughs> I'm, you know, maybe I'll do some of that this evening with my boys. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to pull out. Here we go. Please. On this show, we give manufacturers and, and I'm just going to quibble here and say designers, really, because most of them don't actually make their own products. Fair. I'm going to give them a hard time for giving their creations bad names. Oh, <laughs> some of the things I mean, we do this all the time, right? We do paceline picks and I say the name of the thing and then I'm like, oh, boy. Right. I don't know who works Regrettable. in marketing there, but they should be shot behind the barn. Um, or in front of it. Or in front of it for everyone else to see as an example. <laughs> Some of the things that make a name poor are, uh, one, it's a number instead of a word. Agreed. Two, it's just too long. Agreed. Three, it's too local. Like it might hearken a place name that's important to them, but not to many other people. Fair. Uh, four, it's a joke that just isn't that funny. <laughs> Five, it's a word people don't know or don't use. Mm. Uh, 
Six, it's a word or name they just made up. Oh, yeah, that's the, yeah, that's the worst one of all. I don't know if it's the worst one. It can be the worst one of all, or it can work. Like, it's worked very well for the Honda Civic, which is an acronym describing the original engine in that car that turned into a name that turned out to be pretty useful, but it doesn't work all the time. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a second, I'll give real-world examples for each of these, but before I do that, I want to acknowledge that naming things is really hard. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah. People underestimate it. I have personally participated in the naming of a few products, and despite being a full-time word guy, I've not been massively successful at it. I will say that for just about everything you want to name, when you find the right one, you know it. And I believe a lot of companies fall short on this because they don't give the process enough time. Mm -hmm. They're so focused on developing the product that they're not simultaneously developing its name, its image. And I don't mean image as in the physical image, but the idea of the product mm-hmm. and and they need to bring marketing in sooner or bring better marketing in. But mm-hmm. first, I'm going to talk about the names that are numbers. There okay. are exceptions to this rule, like when the number is palindromic, which might be a word I made up, like with the Mazda 323 or 626, which... You know, both of which have a ring and a balance. I'd argue they they don't tell potential buyers anything about those cars. Uh-huh. Maybe one is bigger than the other. I still don't love it. But as examples of when numbers don't work, just see pretty much the entire line of Asos clothing. <laughs> Asos makes among the very best cycling apparel on the market, but I couldn't actually name a single thing they make. Imagine how successful they'd be if they gave some of those pieces a personality. Mm-hmm. Sure. This same principle applies to acronyms that mean something to the company, but not the consumer. It's not that we won't eventually catch on to what they're trying to get across, but why make that process a challenge? One example is the giant TCR. Mm-hmm. What is that? And who cares? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Next mm-hmm. next little problem, the name is just too long. This is pretty obvious. It's tempting to try to fully subs- describe a product for consumers, but you end up with a description, not a name. Kraft mm-hmm. makes something called the Men's Core Subs Wind Bib Cycling Tights. <laughs> That's an explanation, not a name. It is. That's seven words, and at least three of them are redundant or don't mean anything to me. Uh Uh, So, you know, be efficient with your words. Be careful with your words. Uh, Don't do this. Don't just write a description. Uh, Next problem, the name is too local. I'll just grab a couple quick examples from Car World. The Hyundai Santa Fe, the Tucson, the Kona. These are all places I know, but they evoke warm weather that I don't live in. I have a hard time <laughs> matching these products to my geography. Mm-hmm. 
one bike example I can think of, and this is a fantastic bike, so know that I'm not criticizing the actual machine, is the Parley Chabaco. Oh, that's a it's, place? It is a place. <laughs> it's named after the area they developed the bike, which is nice. It's a nice spot, but it means nothing to most people. Most folks are going to misspell it when they try to look it up, uh, which is a problem. And it doesn't evoke any feelings at all in people who don't know what or where it is. Well, there's an additional problem with this one that uh, you haven't mentioned in your uh, half dozen items of problematic names, which is with just a slight twist, you can turn it into something else like mm, Chewbacca. Fact. Yeah. Is it the Parley Tobacco? Is it the par- Parley Chewbacca? Mm-hmm. Um, these are problems. And again, it's a good bike. People, yeah, right. E- right. Yeah. 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 You know, so uh, why hamstring it? All right. Um, next, we have jokes that just aren't funny. This is pretty subjective, I understand, but I think of names a bit like tattoos. It, it could even be really, really funny. But is it going to be funny every day forever? Um, uh, yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Probably not, sadly. One example is the evil Shammy Hagar gravel bike. A universally well-reviewed bike, but Sammy Hagar is the worst thing that ever happened to Van Halen, and I don't know what I'm supposed to think about this bike, other than the guys at Evil have a reasonable sense of humor. Hmm. Um... I mean, uh, it, well, yeah, yeah, it's a, it, it is a joke that got old pretty quickly in the press release. I laughed my butt off. Um, you know, that was great. But even as I was reading that, it's like, that's not gonna age very well. I'll give them this. I remember it. <laughs> and maybe that is, you know, maybe that is something in and of itself, but I mean, because Evil's an interesting company because they have a different naming problem that you haven't even brought up here, which is, you know, they've got the following, the calling, the offering. They, you know, they it's ing, 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 ing. You know, it sounds like a two-stroke engine. Um, right. I, I owned an Evil for a while, and when I went to sell it, I had to go to the website to remind myself, is do I have the following or the offering or the... Ooh. Which of the participles do you own? Yeah. Yeah. And so philosophically, what they were going for, I totally love, you know, yeah. it's yep. aspirational, inspirational. Um, but they ended up with something that falls within such a tiny prescribed territory that they've become confusing. Yeah. Again, great bikes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Then you have, it's a word people don't know or don't use. Mm -hmm. And I get this one. I've been down this road. When you're naming something and all the good, obvious names are taken, you you resort to the deep cuts from the thesaurus. (laughs) Like, for example, the Marin Gestalt. I like that name. Okay. What does it mean? (laughs) Why? It's a little bit of everything. It rolls it all up, you know? Gestalt is a great word. Yep, yep. Quite what it means about a bike, I don't know. But I accept that you like it. I, You know, I went through this process and I looked at a lot of bike names 
in putting this together. And I found that people who I thought did a pretty bad job actually are doing pretty well. A lot of them. Okay. And, and it's hard. So, I mean, if I was going to criticize the Gestalt name, uh, it would only be because fundamentally it's a German word. Um, and I don't know how many people really understand the translation of it that well. And so in a way, my biggest criticism of that name, if I am going to criticize that particular name, it's because it's a, I don't know, 75 cent word, dollar word. That's that's what I'm getting at. I mm-hmm. mean, I think you see exactly what I see in it is that not good words don't always make good names. Yeah. Did I ever tell you about this guy who started a blog called Red Kite Prayer? <laughs> Touche unto yourself. So finally, we have the name that just gets made up. So Trek took Madone. Oh, God. Which runs afoul of the place names. I don't know rule. It's a mm-hmm. it's a it's a place in Italy. And compounds it by making up Domani and Amanda from the same letters. Uh, okay. I don't know what any of those bikes are. I mean, I do because it's partly my business to know. But if you don't know, you're in the dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, Specialized might even be winning their head-to-head battle for total world domination for the simple fact that they have better bike names. And I'm not even kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're going to go with a place name, go with something that pretty well everyone has heard of. I didn't know what Roubaix was in 1987 when, you know, I bought a good road bike. Uh, But back then only Fuji was using that name. They were the, the company that trademarked it. Um, And I, you know, I remember seeing it, you know, on the top tube of a bike and thinking Roubaix. Um, I hadn't taken any French in a while. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know that, but you know, at this point you don't have to have been in cycling that long, uh, to have actually come across that. Uh, so yeah, not bad, but, but similarly, uh, there were a couple of different companies that named mountain bikes Rincon or at least parts Rincon. Right. I didn't know that was a real place. I had no idea that, you know, they would named it, you know, after an actual location uh, somewhere out west. I was in Memphis. I'm going to go. So you brought up the Roubaix, which uh, and Fuji's uh, trademark copyright Mm -hmm. trademark. And there was the whole kerfuffle because specialized. Yep. Whatever. They got themselves in some trouble by sending a cease and desist letter to someone who is using Roubaix Cafe as their bike shop name. Yeah. Um, the idea that you could trademark a place name is bull guano. Like, yep. even even yep, for I'm Fuji to trademark it, I think the trademark office should have been like, I'm afraid the people of Roubaix have, <laughs> have some priors on this, and you don't get to just lock it down. Sorry. Yeah, especially being... Uh company that's based somewhere uh, I don't think you get to trademark a place name in a country that you're not in I think that that should be a rule to be used in a further market that you're not in yeah 
Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And corporations aren't people while we're at it. Oh, my gosh. Don't even like that's Pandora's box. Don't crack the lid on that. Sorry. So Sorry. one final thing. Um, once you found a good name, don't abuse it. Like Cannondale doesn't need to have a million versions of the top stone or the scalpel. Every bike you can't make every I'm sorry, every bike you make can't be one of those one of those things. Yeah. Everything Fox makes doesn't need to be the Ranger something or other. Uh, take your time. Get, if the product is worth making, it's worth differentiating. If it's not worth differentiating, you didn't need to make it. Also, just because you put a different derailleur on it, it doesn't need a different name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just confusing us. You're just yes. confusing us. Do things like <laughs> this bother you as much as they bother me? Uh, I got myself into some hot water years ago when I was at felt, uh, because we'll just take the road bikes, uh, the, the race oriented road bike, which is the F series. Mm. So they, they went with F, uh, they didn't have a reason for it, but for some reason, somebody said, this'll be, you know, our, our F series bike. And they had one, two, three, and 15, and 25, and 45, and 95, and uh, I pushed really, really hard. Let's simplify this, uh, you know, because it wasn't that there was, you know, one, two, three, four, five, 15, 25, 35, 45. There would be like a 15, and then a 35, and then a 75. There, there was no rational basis for why we were picking these numbers. Um, and I said, let's just simplify this. Uh, and then I got pushback, uh, on the fact that like, well, you know, this is our RX 100 bike. It's the 45 this year, and it's going to be the 45 next year, uh, so that we don't confuse people by changing it. And I was like, well, how about we just change it once? Confused. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> And I mean, <clears throat> I helped because like one year when I, when I wrote the catalog, uh, the opening page in the catalog and on the website, you know, was F as in fast. And right. finally that gave that name a, a single letter, some weight, uh, and people were very pleased with me, but they really, really wanted me to shut up about the numbers. Yeah, I, I don't. Numbers as as product names drives me nuts. Uh-huh. And I think I, I think a lot of the time the engineers drive the process. They call a thing a thing. And then the easiest thing to do is just call it what they call it. Um, and some of them are rooted in, you know, they have reasons. But like, think about someone coming to this blind. <laughs> poor, and someone, poor some, someone smart once said to me. Uh, if when you're naming a bike, you should you should put it in a bike sale sentence like, oh, I understand you're interested in the and then the and then insert the name. Mm-hmm. And if it feels stupid, what you've just said, you've got the wrong name. Hmm. That wasn't Rob Vandermark. It was Rob Vandermark. Yes, it that's, was. A, that's a great guess. <laughs> I, I, 
Yeah, that was an either or. Either it was absolutely him or it was not some. But yeah, I mean, I can see Rob thinking. Uh, Rob, the founder and CEO of Seven Side. Yes. Having a spend good portions of your energy. Some of my time. Some of my time, yes. Uh, Rob, Rob has taught me a lot, and I will, I will leave it there. Uh, we should, we should let this go, uh, before listeners start to wonder, because this maybe doesn't bother them. Uh, Yeah. The one thing I'm going to bring up here is because you and I both own one, the Ibis Ripley, uh, Ibis names stick and they're not, they're not hard to remember. Um, but they're, they are not of a piece. Mojo and Cousin It uh, have no no relation whatsoever. Ripley, that has no relationship to the Adams family. Um, and so they there's not, other than kind of fun and zany, I can't say that there's any sort of rhyme or reason uh, to how the folks at Ibis name bikes but it works. It works. I, I'm I'm lukewarm on it. I'll be honest. And I think my enjoyment of their bicycles may cloud the picture. I'll just put out there that I think Specialized uh, coming out with the Stump Jumper mm-hmm. pretty much just one mountain bike naming forever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And especially because it has such a great abbreviation, the Stumpy. <laughs> I've never referred to it as the Stumpy and I never will. Let's move on uh, to the right next along. thing. Yeah, yes. well, that means we're going to take a break um, and we're going to say something about Shimano and then we will come back. We are brought to you by Shimano's new GRX 12-speed mechanical components. There are three 800 level groups to choose from and for those on a tighter budget shimano has updated its 600 series cranks and shift levers for 1x12 and 2x12 setups that utilize trickle down technology from the original 800 series grx component line as if that's not enough They've also got some fresh gravel wheels in the mix. The new RX880 wheel set is a full 64 grams lighter per pair than its predecessor and features the same shallow 32 millimeter rim height for faster acceleration and quicker climbing. The RX880 wheels are tubeless ready and employ a progressive 25 millimeter inner rim width that's suitable for tires from 32 millimeters to 50 millimeters wide. Find them at bike.shimano.com. Okay, we are back with the pace line, the podcast on just the two wheels. Uh, right. What are you pulling this week? Well, there was a piece in the New York Times recently, just a couple days ago, about kids and anxiety and how anxiety levels of children are through the roof, so to speak. Um, this was a guest essay that was titled, This Simple Fix Could Help Anxious Kids. And uh, speaking of naming, you know, with a title like that, it's like, oh, I, I better read this. I clicked uh, on that one, too. Yeah. So it was written by Dr. Camilo Ortiz and Lenora Scanazzi. Um 
Ortiz is a professor, professor of psychology and actively a psychologist, uh, but a professor of psychology at Long Island University. And Skenazy is the author of the book Free Range Kids. Uh, the piece, in a nutshell, is about how excessive caution in parenting uh, cowed in part by a 24-hour news cycle that is driven by, if it bleeds, it leads, reporting has resulted in a generation of kids who don't have much freedom and how that lack of freedom has resulted in a bunch of really anxious kids. Uh, I'm going to insert one statement in here. Part of my, actually the overwhelming reason for my caution with my boys and not allowing them to do more than I have has less to do that I am fearful that something will go wrong for them than some a-hole is going to call child protective services on me and accuse me of being a negligent father. Uh, that is truly 90% of my caution is, is busybodies. Yeah. I don't, I uh, don't think about those people at all, but I'm anxious. I'm anxious <laughs> to hear more of what you have to say about this. Yeah. Well, so I should say, I don't see anxiety in my kids, but I have to admit I don't often see them venturing out of their comfort zones either. My eighth grader, Philip, has far less freedom than I had at his age, uh, which is tragic considering where we live. I mean, I lived in a suburb. It was a residential neighborhood. The nearest store was like a mile away. Um, there's all sorts of stuff all around us. A really cool park. There are shops and just all sorts of things for him to do. And he's not out a lot. Um, and, you know, of course, this is the same, only more so for my fifth grader, Matthew. Neither of them have friends they regularly go to hang out with, you know, like especially under their own power. That is absolutely not a thing for Matthew. And it breaks my heart. Um, the piece explores some of the possible factors for this, but it posits that kids are growing up so overprotected they are now afraid of the world. Um, when I was a kid, uh, you know, I would get on my bike. And the funny thing for me was that to the degree that I felt overwhelmed, I felt overwhelmed with possibility. There was a great big world out there. And I felt like a kid in a donut shop being forced to pick just one donut. Dude, where do I start? You know, where do I go first? Jelly. <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking about my, you know, fifth grade self. Now I'm a real cruller man, but I uh, jelly would have been my first call yeah. back then. So the essay does an excellent job of breaking down where the breakdown is and also anecdotes of individual successes. But ultimately, it lands on a question. Um, of course, questions usually beget more questions more work. Um, but this question turns out to be kind of an answer. I think, um, they're suggesting that parents ask their kids, what cool things would you like to do on your own? I read that and I was like, Oh, that sounds like good stuff. Oh, I can't wait to do that. Um, but now I'm going to pivot from that to an experience that occurred just this past weekend. Um, before I actually read this particular piece. So my girlfriend was Jennifer was down visiting from Seattle 
<clears throat> and for anyone who wonders how being in a long-term, long-distance relationship is, well, I can say it's getting harder, but that's because when she leaves, it's not just me missing her, but my boy's missing her as well. Uh, which may be the coolest ache ever, but that's aside. Um, so she has a really cool connection with my fifth grader, Matthew. She sees him in a way that is really profound for him. He, the kid just lights up around her. Um, and I love that. Uh, and I'm not the least bit jealous or envious of it. I understand that this is, you know, this thing happens, you know, your little people find another adult that they, that they dig. Um, I'll, I'll just never have that relationship with him. Um, and I'm not meant to. Um, so I was off doing something. I don't know what. And somehow she got Matthew talking about going for a bike ride. And he was down. This is a kid who's not been particularly interested in riding bikes lately. Mm -hmm. um, well, I walk up to the, uh, to the garage and I see them pulling out bikes and I ask what's up. And Jennifer tells me and that, you know, she and Matthew are going for a ride, but he wants to take my BMX bike, not his Prevelo mountain bike. My BMX bike that I use at skate parks and uh, pump tracks uh, is a freestyle bike. Um, by that, I mean, it was built with steel pipe. Uh, it weighs more than any bike I own except for mm -hmm. my cargo e-bike. Yep. The, th the thing is a boat anchor. Um, but Matthew thought that that would be more comfortable than his bike, which is a very high end, you know, 24 inch wheel mountain bike, 10 speed drivetrain, mm -hmm. not single speed, uh, yep. hydraulic disc brakes, not one U brake in the back. I just on and on with all the reasons I could go, no, you don't want to be on that bike. And I kind of said, well, you know, this thing's really big. It doesn't fit you super well. And he was like, yeah, I want this one. And I realized, you know, she's got him out here. They're ready to go for a ride. What I need to do is shut up, <laughs> wish them well, go upstairs and let her, let him show her a good time. That's what needs to happen. Yep. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. Don't when is it not for the right thing to do? <laughs> well, I don't remember that nearly enough, apparently. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, I had the presence of mind to let go of the situation. Um, so I gave them my blessing, ducked out, because while I really wanted to enjoy a ride with my boy, this was his experience, not mine. And honestly, to me, any win with bikes is worth what it costs, even if what it costs is me not being part of the experience. They rode off and he led her to a park that he likes and he showed her around and they wandered around the, the water and the puddles, and the water streaming through the rocks and everything. Um, they did a little bit more riding and then they came home. Um, you know, I don't know much more about the ride other than that. What I do know is he was smiling and that's its own sort of bottom line. He was smiling. I don't need yep. more than that. And Jennifer was just thrilled that this kid wanted to spend time with her. Uh, so when I read the essay in the times, I realized that what I need to do is be right less and ask more questions. 
So this coming weekend, I'm going to pull each boy aside separately and ask them, what cool thing would you like to do on your own? I don't know how that'll go with Matthew, but I'm pretty sure that Philip is going to have three or four or 16 ideas before the minute is out. Uh, and I look forward to that. John, your boys are further along in life. You've just taken one to college. Um, yeah. What would you add to this? <laughs> um, what I've, what I've said to my boys is uh, that you don't have to be into what I'm into but you should absolutely be pursuing the things that you're into and mm -hmm. that it should be something that isn't Minecraft or <laughs> Overwatch or and I'm like six years behind on the games that they play but if I asked my 16-year-old uh, what he would like to do on his own, he would definitely say edibles. Um, <laughs> that's, that's more his sense of humor than his reality. But, um, you know, I think you got to, like, let kids be who they are for sure. Um, my kids took different paths than I thought they would. Um, I have, I've let go of the idea that I was in the way of them riding bikes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's giving myself too much credit for their choices. Mm -hmm. Um, and interestingly, my son who is now at college, although he's 20, he's like half an hour away, uh, said that he wants to run home this weekend to get his bike. Hmm. So he'll have a bike in the city, uh, which was how I really became an adult cyclist. You know, having been a BMX kid, mm -hmm. I kind of let it go because I was interested in, frankly, uh, girls and drugs. Um, <laughs> and then and then once I started riding bikes in college, I was like, oh, right. This has not stopped being great. So I have hopes that my son uh, is going to discover the same thing in the same place that I did. So I don't know. I, I, you know, we had when my older son started going out on his own, when he started getting his when he got his driver's license and started doing all these things, you know, there was some hand wringing about what are we how are we going to control this? What are the limits? Mm -hmm. And I said to my wife, um, he's earned our trust. He's never been in trouble. He's got good, like we he's earned our trust. We have to now trust him to make choices that we're not there to select for him. Um, and so I got in the habit of when he left the house saying, have fun, not be careful. Mm. That, that's probably my best recommendation. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, my eldest has not earned trust yet. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I was a free range kid and I deserved no trust. I will say that. So, um, yeah, he's. Uh, uh, we we with Philip, we need lane lines and guardrails. Uh, yeah. Anytime we had have had any trouble with either boy, I've had that. I've had to explain to them that 
uh, it's hard to build trust and it's easy to burn it. So, and it goes both ways. Like I need to follow oh, yeah. up and do the things that I say because they need to trust me too. But gosh, we're off into the weeds of parenting now. I think if we're just talking about how <laughs> yeah. to get them, how to make them less anxious when they leave the house, it's to say, have fun and not be careful. Yeah. And it's not, I understand you want them to be careful, but, but like you are definitely <laughs> transferring your anxieties to them when you do that. Right. You know, the one other thing about this that, you know, normally I'm pretty good about connecting the dots when they're there um, that I hadn't yet until we got to this very moment is the fact that, you know, in my life, the bike has always been a great solution for anxiety in its own right. Just yeah. going for a ride is a great solution for that. And so that's another reason for me to hope that they will find their way to cycling. Um, but I'm not really, trying to coach them into it. I really liked that you let him take the, the wrong bike in your mind uh, because he sees the bike like jelly, the bikes like jelly donuts and he wants to try the other one. Yeah. Um, I, you know, previously I would have tried to stage manage that or steer it in some way thinking that, well, if I get him on the right bike, he's going to have a better experience. Um, and you know, maybe the key to him having a great experience is him having the experience that he wants. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. So if it's bad, if it's bad, he won't repeat it. Uh, it's better for him to find that out for himself than to have you feed it to him or, um, you know, that's right. been true with me and I've made that mistake over and over. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he went for a ride with Jennifer. The two of them came back. They were both all smiles. Um, I, I mean, I could try to ask for more, but, you know, that's, that's like saying I want to be president. It's just silly. Yeah. No, that's winner, winner. Let's eat some chicken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Paceline Picks, what awfully named product do you have this week? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so it's not so bad this week. As you know, I'm a big fan of bringing things that work well in other sports into my cycling life. Mm -hmm. uh, this week, I'm picking the Rabbit Easy T Perf Ice SS. That's uh, pretty terrible. My case. When you say it. Yeah. What's that? I rest my case. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty terrible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it, when you deconstruct it, it's not so bad, but yeah, it's pretty bad. It's a perforated short sleeve, just the S, thus the SS. Mm -hmm. They could have left it off. We can see it. It's <laughs> there's a picture. <laughs> We're not buying it out of a spreadsheet. So that okay, it's a perforated short sleeve running tee, and it gives great ventilation on hot days. Um, I'd probably give the name five out of ten, maybe a four. I don't know, uh, but it's got perf, so it's perforated. Uh -huh. They could have left SS off. Um, the perf is kind of the only use useful term in the name. Okay, let's keep going. We're yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the summer's muggiest days, which we are living in right now, uh -huh. uh, a shirt that just wicks moisture is insufficient to the task for me. Mm. 
I'm going to saturate it pretty quick. Like, I'm overwhelming its ability to wick. Uh, I need help with evaporation also, and a perforated material is very helpful for this. Uh-huh. This shirt also incorporates an ice, that's in the name, ice nylon in the fabric mix, mix which Rabbit contends keeps you feeling cooler. I'm not 100% sure on that the effect might be subtle and in the torrent of my perspiration i'm losing it <laughs> but the per the perforations alone uh do it for me it's a shirt i like to ride trails in there's a tank top version a women's version a women's tank top version sizing is a little disappointing it just runs small to xl uh but it's also stretchy as hell so you could probably cheat the top end of that scale a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, it's $48, which is pretty good for a performance tech tee these days. Mm-hmm. And the men's one I wear comes in two colors, water spout, <laughs> <laughs> which is a light blue color, and lightest sky, which is an off-white. Interesting that they would put sky in the name of the white one and not the light blue one. But right, right. Yeah, we are where we are. I like the lighter colors on hot days because I'm trying to absorb as little heat as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, in the cold, I'll wear a black jersey every yeah. day <laughs> in the summertime. Gotta be white mm -hmm. or close to white. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nate, does the perforation, I, you know, I remember those old uh, football jerseys from when I was a kid. They were yeah. perforated. Is this kind of like that does it look like that uh it looks a little bit like that it's more perforated than those were uh -huh. uh, and it's a stretchy material so what i find is like if there's a breeze i can pull the the shirt which opens it uh-huh and gets more breeze through huh yeah oh interesting okay yeah that it hmm. interesting i'm i might have to follow that link myself give it a shot yeah so I'm returning to a previous pick of mine because I now have an objective reason for a claim I had previously made about said product. Uh, the product in question is Shimano's XTR pedals, both the XC version and the trail version. So I've recommended these pedals as being superior to basically all other SPD pedals for some years. My contention has been the been that they are easier to clip into than other SPD pedals, but I could never get an answer for why that is from anyone at Shimano. There were occasions when they didn't really even understand the nature of my question. Uh, <coughs> the XTR pedal was superior to their other pedals, not to mention the competition in all of the ways was, you know, that was their case bearing weight materials. Um, and so that I was asking why it was the best was kind of silly to them. Well, it's the best. Uh, it, it was, yeah, they thought it was kind of a silly question. Mm. Um, but then at made you and I ran into one of my old contacts at Shimano, Jesse, who I've known for, I think almost 30 years. I think we met in 1996. Well, I just met him the other day and what a sweet guy. You know, Je Jesse is a great example of the people who work at Shimano. They employ 
so many really genuinely decent and hardworking people uh, who are doing their utmost to try to make for a better experience for somebody when they go for a bike ride. Uh, it's one of the reasons it's been really easy for me on a personal basis to have them as a sponsor of ours. Well, I, I, I wanted to the interject there. there and say that they are not paying for this part. They only pay for that part in the middle where we say that stuff. But, it, but it you is, know, and there are people at Shimano who would rather I wasn't in contact with Jesse. They only want me to talk to the PR folks. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, it, Jesse has tended to work on stuff that's not components, footwear, apparel and glasses. But he's. He's been there so long that he's often involved in these high level meetings because he needs to know what's going on with their components so that everything he's working on seems matched to what they are making. Shimano products need to all work together and they sure. carry that philosophy through with their apparel and their eyewear. And, you know, and sometimes it seems like, well, what are you going to do? But they have their rationale and it seems to work. So I put the question to Jesse and what he told me was that in shaving every extra gram off of those pedals, cause they're XTR, the jaws of the pedal are more exposed. So the pedal body sits two millimeters lower than the pedal jaws. The upshot here is in any, if there's any dirt or mud on the bottom of the shoe, that's going to make it harder to clip in. And the more sole the shoe has, the harder it will be to catch the pedal as well. That got me to wondering about why other pedals, like a set of Richies that I have that have no pedal body at all, aren't comparable to the XTRs. And after playing around them for a while on Sunday, what I realized is that the lack of body makes them easier to spin underfoot. It's almost kind of a square shape when you look at it edge on. Um, Having a pedal body both ahead of and behind the jaws of the pedal prevents the pedal from spinning underfoot. Um, this is more true of the trail pedal than the XC pedal, um, but there's still enough body there that I think it cuts down on uh, its willingness to spin. Um, sure. So, uh, yeah, I have no problem with the XC pedal. Um, you know, it's it's not harder than the trail pedal for me to clip into. But now I understand why every time I get on one of my bikes with XTR pedals, it's like, oh, these are so nice. And I get on everything else. It's like, God, it's just not quite as nice. And it takes a lot for me to actually pay attention to a pedal. You know, well, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think if a pedal isn't working well, it's almost impossible to ignore and a, a pedal yep. shoe thing situation that works really well is like putting on a pair of slippers every time you clip in right like you're mm. at a stoplight or you've stopped on the trail and you get going again it makes a big difference yeah. you feel more comfortable there's a lot of stuff like if i'm sessioning stuff in the woods being able to clip in instantly is key to me being able to clean a diff obstacle mm -hmm, mm -hmm. any pedal that rolls on me hurts me yeah and i don't mean physically you know um so i think i th i think as a touch point i think pedals are are super important and underrated i i'm with you a thousand percent absolutely yeah
Having said um, that, I think you're an enormous nerd for going into this level of detail about these pedals. <laughs> they already told you they're the best. Why are you going <laughs> to ask more questions? They say they're the best. You have the experience of their being the best. Suddenly you're talking about millimeters and poor Jesse. I'm kidding. Jess, <laughs> Jesse's great. <laughs> Have you met me? Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I hope that all of our listeners are laughing their butts off right now. Uh, I, I like to bring the comedy, even if it's accidental on my own part. Oh, uh, so the XTR pedals generally go 180 to $190 um, at retail, but I have found them on online for as low as $150. But hey, your local bike shop could use the biz. Give it to them. They sure could. Yeah. Alrighty, that's a wrap on another episode of the Pace Line. Uh, you know, drop by. Let us know what a nerd I am. Uh, <laughs> you probably won't be surprised by anything you have to say, uh, but we can confirm that it's true. Uh, and while you're by, hey, maybe sign on as a subscriber. We have three, five, and ten dollar options, as well as a tip jar for those who don't stop by all that often and don't want to. Whatever. Uh, yeah, um, I think the big thing we need to remind folks is that uh, we don't have any private equity other than yours and mine. Um, we we work hard at this and aren't answering to overlords or anything. I got a kid in college, people. Pony up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and hey, uh, be sure to check out our other podcast, uh, Revolting with John and Stevel. Uh, and we'll probably get some more episodes of the long way home done at some point when the, when our lives calm down some, something like that. Something like yeah. that. Alrighty. Uh, until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to the pace line. Mm-hmm.